0: Guys, as you know, we're on the book of Acts. Uh, If you didn't know, you know it now. And we've said that Acts is an important story for any church because it's our origin story. It's where we come from. It's who we are. It's how the church came into being. It's a story of original Christianity. So if you want to know what Christianity is all about, then study the book of Acts. Now, so far in the book of Acts, we've seen that Luke wrote about the words and deeds of Jesus in his gospel. And now the book of Acts is about the words and deeds of Jesus being continued through his church. You'll remember in the first couple of weeks, we said that the ministry of Jesus continues, the message of Jesus continues, or the good news continues, the mission of the church continues. And as we go through the book of Acts, we'll see this development. And we'll see that what was put to us in chapter 1 is indeed what is happening in the rest of the chapters. We spent four weeks in Acts chapter 2, we spoke about the Holy Spirit being promised from God and it was poured out as a fulfillment of that promise. We spoke about where the Holy Spirit and the expectation of Pentecost came from in the Old Testament. We spoke about Jesus and this whole message of the gospel being about Him. We spoke about the only reaction to that is having your heart pierced repenting, turning, heading into a new direction, marking yourself as a new person and taking on a new identity. And last week at our launch Sunday, we spoke about what a healthy body of Christ looks like. What happened after the Spirit came down on people, pierced their hearts, they turned, they got baptized, and then they learned. And we saw that it was about a loving fellowship, good biblical nutrition, um, worship, wonder, and then also word and deed ministry. Okay. Now the reason why I gave you this little recap of the book of Acts is because as we keep on studying the story, you'll see all of these important words and moments pop up again and again. Even this chapter we saw now, we see words, we see deeds, we see it's about Jesus, we see the Old Testament feature. So it's like the first two chapters gave us a flavor of what the rest of the book will be like. Now, the text for today, I think, is a very thrilling story. Because if you're a believer, you can resonate with the experience of this lame man. And you will also be reminded of your own day of salvation. Think about it, guys. The day that you got saved was the day that you leaped from death into life. And you felt something that you've never felt before, exactly like this lame man. If you're not a believer in Jesus, but you are keen to listen, and you are keen to check out what christianity is all about you will see in this portion of scripture what the gospel does to an individual and you will hear the good news being explained again by peter very very clearly so for both believers and non-believers this is a really good day to read this text and to listen to this specific sermon now it is a loaded chapter it's a large portion of Scripture. Starts out great with a lame man being healed and ends quite weird and tough with Peter and John being arrested. Now, if you read this chapter slowly, that's what that's what we do when we pray for a sermon. Right? So we read it slowly and we mark stuff and we link stuff and we circle important words. You'll find quite a lot in this chapter. I decided to show you <clears throat> what I had to choose between uh, that you can find in this chapter. So you see one very good. You see two denials of what the miracle is not. You see six affirmations of what the miracle is. You see six descriptions of Jesus. You see eight accusations against the people. You see one message of hope and one serious act of resistance. I've had for multiple points in a sermon. (laughs) So I sat with all of this and I thought, my word, I can't have so many points in a sermon. We'll never track through it. But that is what you find in this chapter. So you have to read it and reread it. So just to make sure that we cover all of this, here's what we'll do today, right? So I molded them into three points, but the third point's got three sub-points, right? So let's stick to three points, but when we get to the third point, you should go, okay, I should start listening for the first point now. So we'll study the miracle, I think it's really important. We'll study the message of Peter, and then we'll talk about three important applications for us, here and now. Before we do it, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, as we open up your word, we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would enlighten us. We pray that you would transform us. We pray that you would quench our thirst. We pray that you would uh, instill our hunger. We pray that you would inspire us. We pray that we will be able to listen to your word come to us this morning. We are excited about seeing a miracle. We are always open to hearing your message, Lord Jesus. And we want to figure out what this means to us. So as we open up your word, please do speak to us. Help us to forget of everything outside this building, everything that was and everything that will come. And help us to be fully present to listen to your word today. May your name be glorified, Lord Jesus, as we proclaim the good news. We pray that in your name. Amen. Okay, so let's look at the miracle. Okay, Peter and John walks past this guy for the second of three times in a day. So they've already been at the temple this morning. This is the afternoon hour, and they'll go back to Right? Second time this day. We see in chapter 4, verse 22, that this lame man was over 40 years old. Now, in the biblical times, if he were 30, it was like being 60 today. So this was a very, very old man. And he's been lame, or he couldn't walk for a very long time, right? Since his birth. And he was at the temple every day. So Peter and John have definitely seen this guy before. Absolutely. They've seen him before. And this guy sat there because he received alms. He received gifts. It was a known practice by Jewish people to give alms to people who didn't have. I don't know if you can remember, but in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, When you give alms... As if everyone gives alms, right? Jesus says, when you give alms, don't give it in a way that you want people to see. Don't give it for the crowd to give you applause. Give it because you give it from your heart. And then in verses 7 to 9, we see the actual miracle happen. And I want you to look at the emotion. I want you to see the words, right? Jumped up, started to walk, entered the temple, walking, leaping, and praising God. Right? Anyone familiar with Jerusalem? Right? Everyone seen what happened if Jerusalem plays in the crowd and people start doing the moves? Like, this guy is that ready. Okay? His ankles became strong. He could never have walked. And all of a sudden, he's ready to leap and to dance and to take part in Jerusalem. Okay? I'm just using Jerusalem as a wordplay to do this <laughs> because this miracle takes place in the city of Jerusalem. Now, see what happens in this chapter. Peter didn't pray a sermon. That's really important, right? Like, Peter wasn't in the study the whole week, getting his notes ready for this moment. He was, he was going to pray with his mate, John. And then this miracle happens. People see it. And then Peter starts speaking, right? Ready to share what he has in his heart and what he has in his head and how he understands what just happened. Now, let's get a little definition for a miracle going here before we go further. This is a quote by a theologian called Daniel Doriani, and here's what he says about a miracle. I think it's a really good definition. A miracle is the direct act of God in the external world, in which God works outside, not against, the common course of events to do three things to reveal himself, to authenticate his servants, and to manifest his nature and redemptive purposes. That is what a miracle is. Is. Just going to leave the quote up there uh, for a couple of seconds at all, but we just look at it again. Because if you look at the three things, he reveals himself, he authenticates his servants, and he manifests his nature and redemptive purposes. That is exactly what happens in this story. Right? So God acts directly in the external world, in the body of this person. He doesn't work against what he wants for people, he just works outside the common course of events. And in doing it, he achieves those three things. Okay. Now, about this miracle, Peter says there's two things that this miracle is not. And then he says there's six things that this miracle is. So let's just go through it quickly. Look at verses 11 and 12. Peter says, it's not our power. Okay? And it's not our godliness. This does not come from us. And that's really important to see. I'm not a magician, this doesn't come from sorcery, this has got nothing to do with demonic powers, there was no magic formula going on here, this was not through my own power. I do not own this. Something happened through me, comes from a different place. Secondly, it's not my own godliness. It's not because I was awesome between six and three today that God decided to bless me with the ability to do a miracle. It's not my godliness, and it's not the lame man's godliness. None of us did something right so that God could do this miracle. Did I see in the story that the lame man didn't even ask to be healed? Can you see what he asked for? He wanted money. Right he was begging. Dude, can I have some money? Dude, I don't have money for you, but what I have for you, I'll give to you, and the miracle happened. So why does a miracle not happen through our own power and our own? Because then we can own it. If a miracle happens outside of our own abilities, and outside of our own morality and our own godliness, then only God can get the glory for a miracle. Period. So Peter starts with, whoa, 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 so Let's not be confused here. Right? I'm not a guy that will dispense free healthcare from this day forward. Right? This happened because God did it through me. And then Peter immediately starts speaking about what this miracle is. And he points to Jesus. He starts there. Jesus healed this man, right? And this healing of this man was a gift that was given to this man. And it was a gift that was given to us momentarily in this moment right? Because we see as, the, as Acts progresses and as the ministry of the apostles progresses, it's not like they only did miracles, right? They were also gifted with gifts of the Holy Spirit to do other things. So we see when the apostle Paul lists the gifts of the Spirit, healing and healing by faith is one of those gifts. And in this moment that was given to the, these two apostles. God granted them faith and he granted them the ability and the gift to do this that's what Peter says this was something that God did through us this miracle is also something that points to Jesus as the source of life right Jesus is the sustainer of life natural and supernatural right if you want to stay alive physically Jesus should care for you and if you want to stay alive spiritually Jesus should also care for you right Jesus he's the one that sustains life inside and so now, Peter says, you needed life outside. That is what Jesus does. Then Peter also says that this is a sign. Right? This is a sign that the king has come and that the king is coming back. Think of Isaiah 35 as an Old Testament text. In Isaiah 35, in verses 5 and 6, the promise is that the blind will see, the lame will walk. Will walk right? Right? People will find faith, life will be given back to them. This is me just paraphrasing. And in Luke 7, when John the Baptist asks, is Jesus really the Messiah? Jesus quotes this verse. And he says, go to John and tell him that the king has come. And what's the sign of the king that came? Is the fact that these things will happen. right? So the king already came, Jesus. He was resurrected from the dead. He already ascended to heaven. He already poured out his spirit. So how will we know? What is the sign that this has happened? Well, the fact that you're physically healed. Because that points to the fact that the Messiah has come. And now that we see that you are physically healed, this also points to him coming back. Everyone else will be healed and there will be no more sickness and no more hurt and no more pain and no more tears. So it's a sign, right? It's something that you can show to say, this is what it looks like. I wanted to turn my phone around, but then you'll see my timer, which I won't show to you. But I was yeah. <laughs> but I also want you to see this miracle is an illustration. The miracle serves the message. Do you guys see it in this chapter? A miracle happens and then Peter goes, Let me use that as a ramp and build a sermon on this. Right? This is a really good picture of what? Death to life. This is a really good picture of a picture of grace. This is a really good picture of forgiveness. This is a really good picture of repentance. This is a really good picture of restoration. So, now that we are talking about all these things, let me build my sermon on that. He uses it as an illustration for the sermon. And he points back to it by saying, what you saw means this. You guys remember Jesus doing the same? Feeding thousands with bread and then saying, okay, so I am the bread of life. Right? Jesus uses a miracle, of bread, and then says, this is an illustration for what I do with you. You know, you just ate bread, your stomach's full now, and that is what I do. I am the bread of life. And if you eat me, then you'll never hunger again. Okay? So it's an illustration. It's a picture of what happens when you, uh, uh, when you change from death to dancing. And then Peter says, you know what happened to the man? That is exactly what will happen to you. So we'll get there when we study the message. Now, guys, I can say a lot more about miracles, but let me just pause there. Right? It's important for us to know what a miracle is. It's important for us to know what a miracle is not. Do we trust that God still does miracles? Absolutely. Why? Because let me read the uh, uh, um, uh, let me read the definition again. Because God still acts directly in the external world. He still works outside of the common course of events because he still reveals himself, he still authenticates his servants, and he still manifests his nature and redemptive purposes. He hasn't stopped doing that. So because he hasn't stopped doing that, (coughs) we believe that he still does that. What I want you to see is when God does a miracle, it's not because I did something right. It's not because the right person prayed for me. It's not because the right words were used. It's not because God found me in a good state and then decided to grant my miracle. He does miracles because that's what He does. It comes from Him, through His power, through His grace. It's a gift given to us and it's supposed to be a picture of what He did and what He will one day do. Yes, I'm really enjoying preaching today. Okay, so that was the first point. We studied the miracle. Let's study the message. Um, I'm going to show you the slide for, well, that was the slide for the miracle, let me show you the slide for the message, it's very refreshing if you listen well, you'll see the word refreshing in the text as well so I'll get there later, but let me just leave the slide on right there, so now Peter speaks, right, comes from the heart shoots from the hip, boom no sermon notes, let me tell you how I understand this, and let's start with Jesus right, because that's what Peter said Jesus did this, it wasn't us Jesus, And then he lists six unbelievable things of Jesus, just like that. Now guys, let me be honest, I'm a preacher, I like studying the Bible, this is solid form from Peter. Like if someone would ask me now, tell me six awesome things about Jesus, what would you say? Here's what Peter says, he says, Jesus is the servant of the Lord do you guys remember in the old testament specifically in the book of isaiah this is me talking like peter now from chapter 42 to chapter 53 we saw this expectation of the servant that will come that will set things right, that will eventually suffer that will eventually die people will won't hold him in high esteem but he will achieve salvation and by his stripes we will be healed do you guys remember that scripture so that's jesus okay Great first point to Peter's sermon, let's be honest. So Jesus is the servant of the Lord. It's a powerful identity to understand about Jesus. That is what he came to do, and that is what he still does. Jesus even said in his own words, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Then Jesus says, Peter says, that this Jesus was glorified by God. Right? Because remember now, the moment Peter in that setting says that Jesus did this, he divides the room. Because there's people who believe in him and there's people who don't. And the people who don't believe in him scoff at him because he was crucified. Right? Just a short while ago. We didn't want him as our Messiah. That's why we crucified him. And now you're telling me about him again. Yes, I am because he was glorified by God, he says in verse 13 doesn't matter what you guys say about him. He's the servant from the Old Testament. He's glorified by God. And then he drops this rabbi in verse 14. He's the holy and the righteous one. He's not one of. He is the one. He doesn't have a category. He is the category. Right? Jesus is distinguished from all other authority figures. So Jesus is the holy one, the only one like him, and he's the righteous one, the one who was found with no sin according to God's standards and God's purposes. The only one that could save us, and that's why he achieved salvation. Just a note on the side, do you guys know that this is also our standing? You and I. If we repented, we turned, we got baptized and we got marked as Christians, and we started repeating and devoting ourselves to this Christian mind, this is who we are, holy and righteous. You don't work for it, you work from it. Think about that, guys. That's you and I today, right? Not a single speck of sin or guilt on any one of us because it was achieved for us. We get the verdict before the performance, Think about that. Can you imagine? Right? It was the Olympics just a while ago. Can you imagine if you would like get ready to do your gymnastics routine? But before you stop, I say out 10, 10 out of 10, out of 10, out of 10. Can you imagine how also your routine will be there? Because you don't have to worry. You're free. You just do what you want to do. Because the verdict's done. That's us. Now Jesus says, That's, uh, uh, now Peter says, that is Jesus. Then he says about Jesus, so he was the servant, he was glorified by God, he's the only righteous one, and he is the source of life. Jesus is like the charger to your cell phone. Guys, how do you make a normal, middle class person with a cell phone panic? Tell them that their battery is on 3%. Oh, there's nothing like it. Like on 10%, there's still a little bit of hope left. On 8%, I might get home, you know. On 3%, you're dead. There's nothing left of this cell phone. It will die if it's not charged. You will die if you're not connected to the source. And that's really, really important for us to understand. If we have him, we have life. If I have a charger, I've got unlimited battery. But if I don't, it is going to die at some point. Then he says in verses 15 to 16 that Jesus is the resurrected king. Jesus is the one who we believe in. Jesus is the object of our faith. Jesus is the only thing that could save us. It is a fact. Can you imagine if you're out on the open sea and you feel your legs can't kick anymore and you're about to drown and someone throws you a life breathe right? That lovely thing that you think no one ever uses, but the day you're in trouble you really want them to use that? What are you going to do? You're going to grab it, because it's the only thing that uh, that could save you. In that moment, you could say, I sincerely believe that a nice big rock can also save me. Please, chuck me a nice big rock. You will sink and you will die. It doesn't matter how sincerely you believe that this thing can also save you. It is a fact. That only with the life we can save you. It is the truth. We believe that the Bible teaches that only Jesus can save you. It doesn't matter how sincere you live or how sincerely you believe that all people will eventually go to heaven, the Bible says Jesus Christ, Him alone, the way, the truth, and the life, the gate to the sheep, the bread of life, it is only Him. Peter says. You guys can see how many times I actually read Paul, because like I sent Paul the whole time, let's get back to Peter. Peter says that he's the resurrected king. And then he says in verses 25 to 26, as well as in verse 18, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament, right? How is that for a testament? Right, so he was just busy telling them what he believes about Jesus, and then he says to this crowd, who is all Jewish people, listen guys, you know the whole book you believe in? It's all fulfilled in Jesus, right? Jesus is the life, he is the truth, and he's the one that leads us to salvation. Now think about this. If you, I mean, I don't want you to be scared, but just be scared for a second. Just imagine you have to cross the parking lot outside. You have to get to South Street, But the parking lot is full of landmines. What are you going to do? What if someone on the other side of the parking lot says, I know the way? I'll guide you. I'll get you safe to this side. It's landmines, but I'll get you safe to this side. I've been there before. Are you going to say to that guy, listen, you can't claim that you know the way, right? How can you make such a bold statement? How can you say that only you know the way? Because it's a matter of life and death. You're going to take it, and you'll probably take that guy to the chicken, he and fly through afterwards and buy lunch. You know what I mean? Because he saved you. So all about your perspective, right? If your perspective is, I am dying, then you'll take the direction of the one that says, I know the way. If your perspective is not, I am dying, then you won't feel that urgence. But you are dying, right? Back to the source of life illustration of the charge. And then what he says is, he goes, okay, let me quote a couple of characters from the Old Testament. Let me quote Moses. Let me quote Samuel. Let me quote the prophets. Let me quote Abraham. And I wish that I could go down this huge rabbit trail to show you Jesus is the great Moses, to show you how all the nations are blessed through Jesus by the covenant that was made with Abraham. I wish that I could show you the kingly promise that God gave to Samuel, that Samuel gave to David, and that eventually God fulfilled it to Jesus, but I'm not going to, because then we'll be a the whole day. It's just important to see that Peter doesn't talk from thin air. Peter bases his message on the Bible. And he didn't pray for the sermon, but he prayed it every single day. So when it was time to say, he knew exactly what to say. Now this is important because what Peter says to them is, there's only one Messiah. You guys are looking for the Messiah. And the Messiah is found in Jesus, the only Messiah there is. Now think about this, guys. Our world is filled with Messiah stories every single day. It's election season. We'll go to the ballots tomorrow. What does all those posters on the land post tell you? I'll fix it. I'll save it. I'm the one you're looking for. right? I am the right person. Vote for me and I'll fix everything. That's why we get so passionate about it. Right? Because we want to be safe. Right? We want someone to fix something that is broken. We want someone to serve and to do what needs to be done. right? Not going into politics. I just going to say that I'm absolutely not anti-politics. I believe that we should vote tomorrow. And I believe that we should vote for any person that you feel might be the best right in terms of all the posters because none of them is a messiah right we can't put our hopes on think about sports the team is not in a good space we need a new player we need a new coach we need a new investor we need a new sponsor like we we love messiah stories we love someone bailing us out sometimes we have stories like if i could just get a new job Right, everything is wrong with my life. But if I get this job, everything will be right with my life. If I have a relationship that I want, then I'll be okay. If I have X amount of money, then I'll be okay. All of those are messiahs that we want to save us, but they cannot. There's only one that won't crumble, and that is Jesus Christ. Right? I was thinking about this feeling of oh, I really put my hope in it. I crumbled again. So I was a teenager at some point in my life. There's nothing like liking a girl as a teenage boy, and then declaring your love for the girl, and then she says no. It's like your whole world just falls apart. Why? Because I believe that she was the one. I mean, I'm on earth, right? Fourteen years old, braces, pimples, poppy cut, but I know, like I know, that girl's going to be my wife one day. I didn't meet Mary when I was 14 because I didn't have a clue who my wife was going to be when I was 14. But the point is that feeling of disappointment and hurt and heartache like it's terrible, that will happen to you if you put your trust in the wrong thing. It'll crash you, it'll mess you up. That's why Peter says, there's only one Messiah, guys, and his name is Jesus. And then Peter, during this message, Dares into the people, right? Eight times he accuses them. He tells them, "This is what you've done." Now think about this. This is what happened. This is who Jesus is. Now let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you what you've done. And then he says stuff like, "You handed him over to uh, to so uh, sorry, you handed over Jesus. You worse than Pilate. You traded him for a murder." You killed the source of life. You killed your own maker. You're ignorant. You don't even understand the Bible. You denied your privilege because Jesus came to you first and you said, no, you're wicked. That's a hard word. That is a hard word. Now just imagine. They can't argue with Peter. Why? Because the miracle happened. Right? So the miracle's is there. It authenticates the follower. It shows the nature. Shows the love, the grace, the redemption and the restoration. Now Peter tells him where it comes from. And then he tells them how the poor and bad and sinful they are. Now, what now? Think about this. This is who Jesus is. This is who you are. Oh my head. I cannot compete. So what should I do now? And then he presents the gospel. Boom. 3 verse 19 to 21. Let's just read those verses again. Therefore repent and turn back that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven, uh, heaven was receiving until the time of restoration all things which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. How beautiful is that? You just heard of who you are, and you just heard of who he is. So let him wipe away your sins. You'll wipe away your sins now. You'll wipe away your tears later. Who doesn't want that? Right? The word Peter uses is a, a, a text editing word. Right? So people used to write on sheep's skin or pieces of parchment. And the way that they would edit is they would take a, a, a blot and then they would slowly wipe out what they wrote. And then they would write something new. later. And that's what Peter says. You know who you are now. Here's the only reaction. Turn, and then wipe away your sin. And then Peter preaches a different kind of gospel than the one he preached in chapter 2 that would have been it for us. And he says, be refreshed. Look at, verse 20, I look at verse 20, guys, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Yes, because after your sins are wiped away, you won't feel this weight of condemnation. Right? You'll feel relief. Because your sins is forgiven, Nothing is weighing you down anymore. And from that will come a time of restoration. Jesus will reverse the curse of all sin. And you'll get all of this if you turn. That's it. Turn. Turn now. And you guys see the result? Chapter 4 verse 4. 2,000 more people believed. They came broken, and they left leaping and dancing. 2,000 of them. What an incredible chapter. Did you guys see that all this happened because the ministry was done to the one? 3,000 people go to faith. Oaks are out praying. They give attention to one guy, and another 2,000 comes to faith. Unbelievable result. So what should we do with this Three quick ones, and we'll be out of here. First one. Let's care for the hurting people around us. Guys, this man could have been overlooked. Peter and John could have said, I'm on my way to an important prayer gathering in the temple. I don't have time for you now. could have done it, but they didn't. The prophets in the Old Testament had a problem with that. When God's people said, I'm too busy to actually care and love for someone else worship and caring for the broken will go together they were on their way to worship but they stopped and not only did they stop they touched they cared for the one previously they had this booming mega church but one person was important to them and i really do believe that you reach the many if you care for the one that's why they reach the multitudes because the multitudes consists of the one and thousands were coming because they cared for every individual Caring. And preaching. Quick question, who is that one for you? If Jesus stirs your heart today to give a one, who is that one going to you? Second thing, let's commend Christ to everyone, even though it may cost us. That's why we read until chapter 4 verse 4, because did you see that they ended up in jail? It started out phenomenal, and they ended up in jail. When we share the gospel, in this way, when we go for the one, when we do word and deed, when we are ready to see miracles and message, when we explain Jesus is, we will face threats, we will face opposition. But that doesn't mean that we should keep our faith to ourselves, right? People often say, don't make your faith public, just keep it private. I'm telling you now that I'm a Christian, redeemed because someone made their faith public, right? I never would have been at this place if someone didn't speak up. And I'm so glad they did. Because I found life and life in abundance. Speaking up doesn't mean having feisty Facebook posts or Instagram stories. Going public with your faith means being gracious, being compassionate, and speaking in moments where God is made manifest or where his redemptive nature is shown. Be ready like Peter and have the courage to do it. Last thing, where do we find this courage? We find this courage in the name of the one who saves us. Period. Do you guys see it? I don't have money for you, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of. I carry someone else's badge. I was commissioned by someone else. Someone else told me who I am. I can do this, not because of myself, but in the name of. And we'll see the name of Jesus popping up through the whole book of Acts. We go in his name. We pray in his name. We live in his name, right? And it's through the name of Jesus being proclaimed and being explained that we see leaps, that we see people turning, that we see people finding, that we see people being saved. That is the one we serve. That is the God we serve. And we can have confidence in his name in exactly the same way that these two apostles did. Jesus says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, I have been given all authority. Right? That is who is commissioning you. I am the boss. Not a boss. I am the boss. Let me end with this quote. It's a long quote, but it's a bit. And it's from John Piper. Look at how he explains all authority. He says, he has authority over Satan and all demons, over all angels, good and evil, over the natural universe, natural objects and laws and forces, stars, galaxies, planets, meteorites, authority over all weather systems, winds, rains, lightning, thunder, hurricanes, tornadoes, monsoons, typhoons and cyclones, authority over all their effects, tidal waves, floods, fires, authority over all molecular molecular and atomic reality, atoms, electrons, protons, neutrons, undiscovered subatomic particles, quantum physics, genetic structures, DNA, chromosomes, Authority over all plants and animals, great and small, whales and redwoods, giant and giant goats, all fish, all wild beasts, all invisible animals and plants, bacteria, viruses, parasites, germs. Authority over all parts and functions of the human body, every beat of the heart, every breath of the diaphragm, every electrical jump across a million synapses in our brains. Authority over all nations and governments, congresses and legislators and presidents and kings and premiers and courts, authority over all armies and weapons and bombs and terrorists, authority over all industry and business and finance and currency, authority over all entertainment and amusement and leisure and media, over all education and research and science and discovery, authority over all crime and violence, over all families and neighborhoods, and over the church, and over every soul and every moment of every life that has ever, that has been or ever will be lived. That is you. That is the name we live through. That is the name we carry. And nothing um, does He not have authority over. He's got this. He's got this. I think I've got a picture that says, I got you, or you got me. You got this. (laughs) That's the confidence in which we speak the word and we do the deed. So let's do it. Let's be ready to see the miracle. Let's be ready to give the message. Right? And let's have confidence as we care for the one and as we commend Christ to everyone. Let me pray for us. And after I pray, Meryl will lead us in response song. Zita will lead us in a benediction and we'll be out there. And we can take some coffee in the square. You can leave wherever you want. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is in your name that we are sent that we go, that we pray, that we love, that we proclaim, that we give, that we show, that we feel His your name, that we do all these things. Because we know who you are. We saw you in the text today acting directly into our existence. We heard who you are. We understand what this means for us. So Lord Jesus, my prayer is simple. May we see the one May we minister to the one. May we minister to the hurting people in the world. May we commend Christ to everyone. May we have courage. May we not be afraid ever to tell people about you. And may we have confidence in your name. We glorify your name as we respond to the personal scripture. I pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit and that you send us out as we proclaim what we believe. We pray that in your name.